to. I have to. This is the theme of the second part of season eight. I think instead of talking about a synopsis of the past two episodes, I, I think uh, it'd be really worth focusing on that phrase that keeps coming up because we begin seeing people say, I have to, I had to, juxtaposed with Carl dying. The same time he was saying, I killed a kid, and I thought I had to, but I didn't have to. I just did. And then in this most recent episode, the last two, actually, we see Gavin prodding Morgan, right? Well, a a hallucination, right? The ghost of Gavin saying it was supposed to be you. You know what it is. You know what it is. And I almost get the feeling that we're supposed to hear Gavin saying, you know, you didn't have to. No one had to kill me. Yeah, because that's exactly what Carol was saying. Strangely enough, Carol was saying, Morgan, you don't have to do this. But he said, no, I have to. Henry kills him and said, I had to. These three words um, keep coming up. Why? From my perspective, I'm seeing the writers make very obvious that these deaths did not have to happen, but they just did because the people who perpetrated the killings were either afraid, didn't trust, or just hated whoever they were killing. And I think that they really want us to focus on that because it's the feeling that there is no other choice that's keeping the people in the story from fulfilling Carl's vision of a peaceful world. And I see the tension, I guess, mostly vocalized in the character Enid, where she killed Natanya. And yes, she had to do it or else he was gonna, she was going to kill Eric. But she then immediately ba- basically regrets it, you know. She's like, I knew I would feel this way, but I had to. You know, but then we also hear her back at Hilltop. She and Maggie are basically fighting with Michonne. Michonne's saying, like, we don't have to do this. And Maggie's like, we have to do this. But Enid's in this in between, not even in between place, but further than Maggie. Not only do we have to, but any other option is futile, right? Yeah, even at that time, they weren't even talking about the saviors. They were talking about the people, innocent people, that wanted to give them knowledge, and they just said, "We we can't trust them." 
you know, they might come back here with more people. We don't know what they're capable of. They know where we're at now. We have to kill them. Yeah. That's a long jump from where we were just months ago in the timeline, right? Yeah. Where we're sending people out to go find more people to bring into the community. You know, hearing the questions that that Alexandrians would ask, you know, how many people have you killed? Or how many walkers have you killed? How many people have you killed? If you have, why? You know? Yeah. Now no one gets any questions. Like, shoot first, ask later. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that we're here now in this this kind of state of mind. Because it seemed to me like, and I kind of mentioned this a few episodes ago, that the first eight episodes of this season were getting us out of the, the mentality that there were people worth rooting for and there were people worth rooting against. You know, yeah. We entered this gray area and now we're in this place where... They also realize that they're not the good people. Yeah. Or and, the bad people. <laughs> and And they're justifying it because they feel stuck. I mean, look at... So, um, the key episode, the episode before last, a good chunk of it is spent in this basement with Rick and Negan, um, trying to find each other fast enough, (laughs) trying to find Lucille and then each other fast enough, right, to get in the first hit or whatever. They're just going back and forth, belligerently hateful. You know, they can't find each other. It's dark and they can't see each other. So they're just going to talk smack as loud as they can until they find a weapon. Right. Negan is going for his normal, usual psychological warfare. And Rick is just trying to be violent and planning his, you know, release the walkers on Negan thing. There's a complete disregard even for sense, right? You know, they're both trapped. And they're not even concerned about getting untrapped. They're concerned about getting the other guy first. Yeah. So not only are we... We're past the point of, like, these are the good guys, these are bad guys. Or past the point of, you know, there's a gray area. No one even cares about their own safety or personhood. It's they're completely consumed by hate for the other party. We saw the same thing um, in the episodes we saw last week. Um, talked about a couple weeks ago with Tara and Dwight, you know, complete disregard for everything so that hate can be spoken, hate can be unleashed. Yeah, I think going back, though, to the the basement scene, I think that was very symbolic. Oh, yeah. Here you have the two leaders of these opposing groups lost in in the the dark, dark, yelling at each other and wanting to kill each other. That I think was putting a visual on uh, the experiences, I guess from a third person view from the experiences of both parties. Everyone's in a tight spot. Everyone's in the dark and not even worried about that. No. And still saying I have to. I have to. How very poignant 
and timely, right? Stepping out of the, the series for a moment. So much of even our political climate here in the United States is based on I have to's that are unbased in, um, you know, seeing certain groups as others, you know, whether that is Democrats and Republicans or, you know, white people and everyone else. And not once do we pause to think, do we really have to do this? You know, do we really have to agree with this bill? Just because the Republicans are for it? Do we really have to deport these people just because they walked over here without a piece of paper? Do we really have to dehumanize people we disagree with? I, just thinking about it now, I uh, actually see an ironic contrast in Sadiq. Mm. Um, the scene where he was talking to the lady that's in charge of the infirmary mm. at the time, where she kept saying, you know, what good are you for? You know, not where things go. You're, you don't know anything. You're not going to be helpful. But what he said was, since everything started, he's done a lot of things he's never done before. All I've ever done is things I've never done before. Yeah, because he had to. A different type of had to. Different characterization. Yeah. Mm. Because he actually legitimately had no other choice. Well, that, and I think extending from that too, he's there helping because he has to. Like, compelled to do the thing to help. Yeah. Not out of a place of feeling stuck, but because he wants to honor Carl and he wants to honor the people that have taken him in. Yeah. He's in a totally different mindset. And the rest of the people. So, there is one other character who seems to try to infuse hope and common decency. And that's Alden. Right? Who's been imprisoned. Held, he's been held as hostage by Maggie in the hilltop for four episodes now. Five. Five episodes. Um, and with given the chance to escape, he stays. So out of the entire cast, <laughs> we have we have Sadiq, we have Alden, and we have Michonne. Right? Michonne has stayed the course. She's never actually lost the vision. Right? That worries me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she spends most of her time now. With her heart hurting because her friends are turning against the dream that Carl... And she has. Yeah, exactly. She totally took it on. And uh, just everywhere she looks, even in Rick, you know, seeing everyone consumed by this destructive force of themselves to eradicate the other person. So... What force pulls a person back from when they're that far? I think really it's hope. 
hope in something. Nobody else is holding on to any hope for anything. It's the very reason they feel like they have to, you know, because they don't have another way in their minds. But Michonne and Alden, Sadiq, and Carl, before he died, saw another way to live. And so does Georgie. Yeah, exactly. Right. That was a huge injection of hope. That, we start to see pull Maggie back. So I, I think you are onto something, that there is something about even the tiniest glimmer of hope that can infuse humanity Yeah. where it was not. And I think what made that encounter so hopeful was... Yes, the book of knowledge, that's great. That's a good thing. I think that's a very concrete path forward to giving people hope for a better future that they don't have to fight over each other for it. However, what I found most interesting and what really made Maggie's question marks go up was she originally had a deal for give us four crates. crates. And uh, by the time they come to deliver the records, she says, I've changed the deal. You just give me one, and now I give you the book, and I'll be out of your hair, and I'll come back sometime. Took it upon herself, and whoever she was representing, that we don't have to get what we demand. You know, making friendships... Between other people is Long-term more term value is more so basic. Yeah, and yet, and even walking in there, really having no way to demand any kind of power, right? Right. She just expected records and some, you know, not any spoken word. I'm afraid to find out what she would have done if she got some spoken word records, <laughs> but. Um, she just said, you know, what little you have is okay. And here's a concrete way forward in the future. We're friends now. Here's some food. I'll see you later. When there was really no benefit to herself, really no, like there was more of a cost. I think that in itself was a concrete way of hope forward because They gave of themselves to better someone else. And I think if that hadn't have taken place before the big showdown at Hilltop, then we really wouldn't have seen Maggie look at the graves of all the people they buried on day one and then after the horrible ordeal on the second day, right? Or the evening of her regret, Right? Because she realizes that she was not doing that for the people. She wanted retribution. And I don't think that she would have had a lens to look at it that way if Georgie had not come. Something else interesting that is completely unrelated to what we're talking right now is that... um, Rick was given Glenn's lighter ages ago by Maggie. And Rick used that lighter to set Lucille on fire. 
And if there has never been heavy-handed symbolism in this entire world, like, that's saying something. Right? Even more symbolic knowing that that bat was covered in biological warfare weapons, (laughs) weaponry, and it was burned clean. Right? We're assuming. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it is a foreshadowing that... A hopeful retribution is to come? I think so. I think specifically, here's how I think things will play out from here, is everyone at uh, the sanctuary has taken Negan for dead, even though he said, if Simon said, he's probably going to come back, but they're they're acting like he's dead. Mm-hmm. I think Jadis... Since he is kept, since she captured him, she's going to take him back to look at what Simon and his group did to her people. I mean, he knows, but I think once he sees it, she's going to try to kill him. And I think there are two ways that it could go down. But either way, Negan's not coming back the same person. One way is Jadis tries to kill Negan and he fights back. And kills her because he had to, right? But then he's there alone in the heaps looking at this mound of human matter or Jadis is getting ready to kill him and Negan becomes vulnerable and wins her over to get back at Simon and makes a commitment to do things differently. That I don't think is the most Likely, I don't think that's the most likely outcome, but I think it's possible because he was already really upset about it whenever Rick was telling him about it. Yeah. But this is something that, this is addressing less of what you're talking about right here, but going back, now that I'm reminded about Jadis having Negan, you know, I thought it was so hypocritical of Rick to talk to Negan about, is that how you save people? Like, you left Jadis there to die, right? Yeah. And now you're going to brandish around like you're the good guy? Like, really? Yeah. One thing I've I've not appreciated about the last couple episodes is the heavy-handedness of their film shots. So... Long-haired dude. What is his name? The most terrible character in the world. Anyway. He was framed. In like 10 shots. Even though he was not the subject of any... Any scene, actually. You know? Obviously, he's the one that stole Henry. I mean, that's my assumption. But, like, obviously he's going to play an important role. I I just wish they didn't feel the need to make certain things like that so obvious in their filmography because their writing is strong enough to communicate those things. Yeah. But, go ahead. I was going to say what they could be doing, though, is, you know, even though he's not necessarily been the focus, the direct focus, I think they are trying to get us to have the emotions 
of what he represents, you know, the worst of the worst of the saviors. Yeah, that makes and sense. To 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 experience as our own the feelings that the people of Hilltop and Alexandria are probably feeling. Um, just at the sight of him, especially Morgan. Yeah. You know, because that character, there's no neutral ground. No. No. And I mean, maybe he's there too for the juxtaposition, right? It's like some people are chaotic neutral (laughs) or whatever, you know, they go back and forth on the line, but some people choose to be evil and they like it there, you know? They're not interested in move in edging a bit. I think you are right that he probably will play a role. How I see maybe his role will be played is that he'll be killed, and it might be the point that everyone involved finally realizes that however however it's shot, however it actually plays out, and him dying, that the people involved finally realize what Carl meant. You're in this moment, and you just you, know, you feel like you have to take this person out, but you don't. You can take the way of Georgie and offer some kind of peace. I don't really have any way to say how a peace could be played out, but I think that that could be a, a death that'll hang in people's heads. All of this to say, I think where the writers are taking us is they want to make us emotionally involved in the experience of the hard work of making peace with our enemies. Making peace with ourselves for the failures we made on the way to that end. Well, Well, until next time, this has been Atocalypse. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us some comments on uh, SoundCloud and tell us what you think. Tell us uh, what you think about where the writers are going. And, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, tweet Grindhouse Theology. Tell us what you think about how we're doing. Uh, This is our first podcast, so we're really interested to see what you think. Additionally, um, we are looking at doing some discussions about apocalypse and post-apocalyptic films once we finish out The Walking Dead season. So what's your favorite apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic film and why? Um, Let us know and we might talk about it. Okay, bye.